I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, former college professor turned manager in a large corporation turned entrepreneur. And not just any entrepreneur. I've made it my life's work to make organizational life more effective and fulfilling. So welcome to Working Conversations, the podcast where we digest and translate research and ideas on workplace dynamics and serve up to you the most interesting and actionable strategies to make your workplace conversations and your relationships more effective, productive, and influential. If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Working Conversations podcast, where we talk all things leadership, business communication, and trends in organizational life. I'm your host, Dr. Janelle Anderson. Would it surprise you if I recommended that you work at 85% productivity rather than 100%? Productivity is an especially hot topic these days, with some companies bringing people back to the office on the grounds that it will increase productivity. Meanwhile, many employees who find themselves in those circumstances are pushing back because they claim to be more productive at home. Wherever you are working, productivity matters. In this episode, we'll take a look at what some of the experts have to say, both historically and currently, and I'll be sharing some of my favorite productivity hacks with you. So let's dive in. All right, when we talk about productivity, what are we really talking about? Well, productivity is defined a couple of different ways. One way is the ratio of output to input. And this is the most common definition for economists. It measures the efficiency of a person or a country or a company in terms of producing goods and services. Now, another definition of productivity is the ability to achieve a desired outcome with the least amount of effort. And this definition is more relevant to individuals and teams and what we're talking about today. It focuses on the efficiency of how we use our time and our resources in order to achieve our goals. So that's the definition that we're looking at today. An example would be a customer service representative who's able to handle 10 customer calls per hour. Well, that person is more productive than a customer service rep who is only able to handle five calls per hour presuming that the customer calls were about the same level of difficulty. The more productive representative can handle more of them in the same period of time. So productivity is really about using our efforts and resources efficiently in order to meet our goals. It's not really about working harder. It's about working smarter. And it emphasizes the importance of effectiveness and efficiency. It's not enough to simply produce a high quantity of work, we need to produce high quality work in timely, well-organized and efficient methods and manners. And if you've listened to some of my recent productivity hacks, you've heard a few tools that help really well in those. And I'm gonna give you some more hacks today. So productivity is possibly the most important factor in maintaining a successful company. If your company doesn't consider how productive or not the workers are, Well, the company is at risk for failure. Imagine if you owned a small company that made widgets and you employ 100 people and those 100 people produce 100 widgets per day. Your direct competitor also employs 100 people and they make the same kind of widget that your company makes. But if their 100 employees can make just 5% more than you, let's say 105 widgets per day, well, that's 25 more widgets per week and a full 1,250 additional widgets per year. That's a lot of extra product for the same labor. 
Now, assuming similar wages, material costs, and so forth, your competitor would be a lot more profitable with just a mere higher productivity of 5%. So boosting productivity has some pretty clear benefits. It can seem like a magic wand for businesses, conjuring up more profits, cutting down on expenses, and giving your business a serious edge. So you can see why it's important. When a company operates at peak productivity, it can get its products and services to customers faster and smoother, and the company will be more profitable, hands down. But here's the bonus in all of this. It's not just the company that reaps rewards. Productive employees tend to be happier and have higher job satisfaction. So it's a win-win. From a department manager's perspective, productive employees are the means to meeting the company or the department's goals. But not only that, managers typically have a responsibility to improve productivity and profitability. In fact, most organizations have goals every year where they're trying to get a little bit more productive and a little bit more profitable, sometimes a lot more than they were the previous quarter or the previous year. And managers are usually evaluated on their ability to achieve results in those areas. But the question comes up, should we work at 100% capacity all the time? Should we be as productive as possible in all of our working hours? Well, the surprising truth is perhaps not. Some experts claim that the sweet spot for productivity is in fact around 85%. In other words, rather than giving each and every task 100% or 110% of our effort consistently, the majority of workers are more productive and happier to boot if they give a steady 85%. This means aiming for 85% and that progress of aiming towards 85% can lead to more sustainable results than consistently striving for perfection or giving it 100% effort all the time. That's when burnout happens, when we're giving something 100% effort all the time and we're firing on all cylinders all the time. That feels like constant pressure and feeling that constant pressure to work at 100 or 110% is mentally draining and it can stifle motivation and creativity and innovation. In contrast, trying to hit that 85% bar allows room for occasional errors as well as breaks. 85%, the 85% rule, is a productivity concept that was first popularized by Andres Ericsson, a Swedish psychologist who's known for his research on human performance and expertise. Ericsson observed that many successful athletes and performers operate around 85% of their maximum effort level during training and even during competitions. This allows them to focus on their technique and avoid fatigue. Since then, the rule has been adopted by people in a variety of other fields, including business and education. It's based on the idea that there is a point of diminishing returns when it comes to effort. After a certain point, putting in more effort does not necessarily lead to more output or more productivity. In fact, it can actually do the opposite. It can actually lead to a decrease in productivity and in burnout. Now, it reminds me of some sage advice I got from a close friend once. She saw me putting in huge effort on a project, and she could clearly see my diminishing returns in a way that I couldn't. I was burning out, and I was not enjoying the project anymore, and 
what's really odd is that this was an area of passion for me. This is something that I really loved doing and I was super excited about the project, but she could see that I was burning myself out and she pointed out that I was burning out and the incremental improvements I was trying to make on the project were not really resulting in any serious gain. Now, there is a growing body of research that supports the 85% rule. For example, a study published in the journal Nature found that students who studied at 85% of their maximum effort level performed better on tests than students who studied at 100% of their effort level. The study also found that students who studied at 85% of their effort level were less likely to experience burnout. Nevertheless, it's important to note that this is not a universal rule. So don't go off and tell your kids to only study at 85%. Of course, there are times when they really do need to bring 100% focus and 100% effort. The ideal level of effort was, will vary on the individual and the task at hand. Now, we can't leave this discussion on productivity without addressing the question that's on so many senior leaders' minds these days. Where? Are employees more productive? Are they more productive working from home or when they've returned to the office? According to a recent article published in Forbes, we've known that for a while that remote work can boost productivity. In a peer-reviewed study, a large company randomly assigned call center workers to work from home or in the office for nine months. The remote workers did 13% better thanks to fewer sick days and a quieter, more convenient work environment. They were also happier with their jobs, and they quit half as often, so less turnover. Now, a newer study on a cohort of software developers found that hybrid work also reduced turnover, this time by 35%, and it boosts the amount of code written by those software developers by 8%. So productivity goes up and turnover goes down. Some managers overall have a difficult time feeling confident that their remote and hybrid workers are in fact being productive. In the same article, the author reports that more traditional managers, <laughs> incidentally described as over age 50, so for those of you who are in my age category, look out, we're looking at you, those more traditional managers feel that their employees are less productive when working from home. In contrast, younger managers, those less than 50, are more tolerant of both hybrid and remote work, and they focus on how to improve in this new way of working, and they're not quite so worried about people not working. Now, I discussed some of these phenomena back in episode 109, productivity paranoia, obsessing that your colleagues aren't working. This also goes true for managers obsessing that your direct reports aren't working when you can't physically see them. That episode is a great companion to this one, and I've linked it up in the show notes. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. 
while some of the most recent studies published show that productivity goes up, at least marginally, well, 8 to 13% is nothing to sneeze at, and turnover goes down, that's a good thing. We all know of many at least anecdotal, if not research-backed, cases of friends and family members who spend more time at the gym or on social media than they do work when they're working from ho- supposedly working from home, all those mouse jigglers and all those other things. So I'm aware of plenty of people who are also caring for their small children full-time while working from home full-time, even though their employer expressly forbids it, and if they were found out, they'd probably be fired. So we have a lot of evidence that people aren't necessarily always productive when working from home. So I imagine this is still going to be an area of great consternation for the next long period of time. And overall, my position is that it's highly individual. Your top productivity area might even be based on what you need to get done at any given time paired with where you can get it done best, which leads nicely into how to be more productive yourself, or at least how to get to that sweet spot of being 85% productive. So let's dive into some of the best and proven practices on how to increase your productivity. For some helpful work from home tips, go back and listen to episode four of this podcast, 10 work from home hacks for staying focused. You can find that episode linked up in the show notes as well. So let me give you some additional practices though that I didn't mention then ones that you haven't heard me talk about before. And believe me, I use these things myself to get things done. Things like this podcast. (laughs) All right, back to that idea I was just mentioning of what you need to get done and where can support that best. I dub this productivity hack spaces and places. Identify a specific location where you work best on a specific task. You can do this at home, in the office, or if you're hybrid. So let's take home, for example. Now I have a desk in my home office, and I also have an additional desk in the bedroom. You might be able to use your dining table or a side table in your living room or some other place. So I will use my secondary desk in my office, uh, not in my office, in my bedroom when I'm working on a big writing project. Now, a few years ago, when I was working on my book, Had On How to Address Difficult Conversations Directly, I had hired out space in a co-working facility. So I had a subscription, a monthly subscription to a co-working space. And when I went there, I worked on the book and only the book. Now, I also worked on the book in my home office, but there were times when I just needed to be in a different place and I didn't do any other work when I went to that co-working space. And in fact, I have a few other entrepreneurial and speaker colleagues who were in the same co-working space and they knew when they saw me there not to talk to me because I was heads down on my book project. In that same general era, I worked in a coffee shop that was in a building in my neighborhood. And I did that when I was working on specific types of tasks. So I would take a specific project to that coffee shop and only work on that. Now, you can also do this if you are co-located or if you are working on site back in the office. When I was in a corporate job, I used to take certain types of work to the cafeteria in our building during non-meal times and use a table there. We also had a coffee shop in the building built right into, it was a large campus. So we had coffee shop and dry cleaner and a bunch of things like that right on campus. So I would go to the coffee shop there or I would go to the cafeteria, take my laptop down there and get some work done. Unhooking and moving to a different environment really helped change my focus. So I wanna encourage you to use spaces and places to find new spaces where you can dedicatedly work on a specific task. Now, the next 
pack we'll look at is called monk mode. Yes, you heard me right, a monk mode. This term was first coined back in 2002 by a software engineer, Ben Ornstein. He used the term to describe his approach to productivity, which involves eliminating all distractions and focusing on a single task all the way through completion. This term has made a big comeback recently, particularly on TikTok, and it's been mentioned in a number of business magazine articles as well. Monk mode is based on the lifestyle of monks who are known for their focus and their discipline. Interestingly, many of the suggestions described in articles about how to implement monk mode are included in an earlier podcast that I did in episode four, those 10 work from home hacks for staying focused. Basically, it's like making a commitment to complete a task free from distractions and completely focused. So the difference here compared to what I talked about in episode four is this is about taking the task all the way through completion. When I talk about something like the Pomodoro technique, you might not get all the way through completion, but this would be using the Pomodoro technique a series of times to get all the way to the end of that task. Monk mode. All right, another practice is to use technology strategically by making rules around it, such as scheduling specific times throughout the day to check emails and voicemails and turning the computer off at the end of each day. Now, to make this work for you, you need to first gather some data. Look at your own behavior over a few days worth of work. Look for the trends where you tend to be the least productive and the most productive. In the activities where you're the least productive, put some rules around it so that what you're doing is helping to minimize the impact of those things that you're doing that are making you less productive. So for example, if you get drawn into texting with friends or family during the workday, turn off the message indicator on texting or put your phone in do not disturb mode. Then answer texts only three times during the workday, your morning break, lunchtime, and your afternoon break. And if you're not taking those morning breaks and your afternoon breaks, you definitely should because your brain needs a break from time to time. Be sure to let your friends and family know that you're going to make this change so that you don't unnecessarily create drama about not getting back to them quickly if they have been in the habit of you getting back to them quickly. Now, speaking of drama, a recent article in Forbes cited that one of the biggest productivity killers in the workplace is, you guessed it, drama. How do you address drama so that it doesn't negatively impact your productivity? Well, the answer for leaders is to focus on creating an environment where each employee takes on responsibility for their tasks and is held completely accountable. The result, they say, is no blaming and no excuses. It's critical that this come down the chain of command, though, throughout the whole company, because if you've got one manager who's doing it, but another manager who's not doing it, well, on top of the drama that's already happening in the one group, you're going to get more drama that there's drama in that group. So consistency is key. If some managers are holding employees accountable and others aren't, then that drama will clearly result and persist and perhaps be even bigger than it needs to be. A 2022 Gallup study indicated that employee engagement is also a significant factor in productivity. Engaged employees are more productive and less likely to miss work or quit. Interestingly enough, they were able to pinpoint some of the most engaged industry sectors. The industry's sectors with the most employee engagement were hotels, hospitality, and food service with 64% engagement, Arts, entertainment, and recreation with 63% engagement. Financial services, 62% engagement. 
technology, 61% engagement, and construction, 60% engagement. Those that ranked among the lowest were nonprofit, education, healthcare, government, and retail. All right, so just a few things that a company can do to increase employee engagement are to set clear goals and expectations, create a positive work environment, recognize and reward employees, empower employees to make decisions and take ownership of their own work, and of course, use effective communication skills to keep those lines of communication open. All right, I used almost all of those tools in my workday so far today. Earlier this morning, I used Spaces and Places. I set up shop at my other desk, the one in my bedroom, to write a proposal for a keynote for a conference for a new client. I was definitely in monk mode when I edited the notes for this podcast. My phone was on Do Not Disturb, my email was turned off, and I was heads down on this topic until I got my notes polished. I slipped up a bit on my technology rules, however. Since my phone is on Do Not Disturb mode, while I'm in monk mode, I of course, don't hear it ring. And I am waiting for a callback from a client about a deal that I hope to be closing with them. And we do need to have a little back and forth over the phone. I left them a voicemail and I noticed that my voicemail indicator was on on my phone. So I broke my rule and I listened to it. Unfortunately, it was not the important phone call I was waiting for, which is typically what happens. And of course, that distracted me and took away from my productivity. (laughs) All right, there you have it, my friends, my latest thinking on productivity. While I can't give you a definitive answer on whether or not you are more productive at home or in the office, what I can tell you is that productivity is highly variable and highly individualized. The hacks that work for me may not work for you or may not work in the same ways as they do for me. And the techniques that a company chooses to implement will no doubt be effective for some employees and not for others. The most important piece to keep in mind is that it is not useful or productive to push everyone to 100% productivity or more all of the time. Modulating your productivity so that you're operating at about 85% productivity most of the time will prevent burnout, and it will also leave some resources and energy available for when you're up against a tight deadline and you really need to bring it your all and be at your absolute peak performance. If you've been working at 85% most of the time, you will absolutely have those reserves available to push yourself above and beyond when the situation calls for it. To stay at 85%, I've shared a few productivity hacks in this episode, and I hope you give them a try to see if they work for you. Hit me up on social media and let me know if you've tried any of them and how they work for you. Remember, the future of work is not only about technology, it's about the values we uphold, the communities we build, and the sustainable growth we strive for. We need to keep exploring, keep innovating, and keep envisioning the remarkable possibilities that lie ahead. As always, stay curious, stay informed, and stay ahead of the curve. Tune in next week for another insightful exploration of the trends that are shaping our professional world. Until then, my friends, be well. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations.